morning. I was in my garden this morning in the cold. I started breathing. I thought for a minute it may be helpful to do that. Gosh, I was actually going to preach about that, so maybe that's a little spoiler alert. We may get back to that. Let's just take a breath and say a prayer. Even in our breathing, we can find the warmth and the presence of the Spirit. Maybe not even in our breathing, but especially in our breathing. Our second scripture lesson this morning is from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 2, verses 22 to 40. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, Now you are dismissing your servant in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage Then as a widow to the age of 84, she never left the temple but worshiped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment, she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had finished everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you. We thank you for the cold. We thank you for the warmth. We thank you for the abundance of all that is. We thank you for the life abundant made manifest and revealed in Jesus and in children everywhere and in elders everywhere. Now may you put into my mouth the words you would have me speak and take from my mouth those you would not. Amen. What was it? 
it feels like a minute since I've been up here because it's been a few weeks. It's fun being used to being in this context in such a way that it feels unfamiliar to have not been here for a few weeks. So, here we are. This is the first Sunday after Christmas. And our text this morning offers us the first glimpse of Jesus' public-facing ministry, yet it is when he is an infant. This is his first public appearance, the first time that he is out and about. The Gospel of Luke is the only Gospel that shows us any stories or gives us any stories of Jesus as a child, and it just gives us two. This one where he is, and both are actually in the temple, but this is where he is presented in the temple. And so even though Luke, as we have said, or I have said a number of times for folks who may remember, is largely, was largely written for a Gentile audience, they're still very rooted in Jewish tradition. Jesus was a Jew and was very rooted and grounded. So even though this ministry and this message was being, was being written specifically for a more Gentile audience, the Jewishness of this is essential. Mary and Joseph are bringing Jesus to the temple to be presented according to the law. And what I love about this story is that as I read it, again, and this is a story I hadn't really sat with much until the last few weeks when I'd been sitting with it for today, but I read it and I'm like, let's just sit with this for a minute, you know? Like as I think about if you're there and you're Mary and you're Joseph and you get this this wisdom brought to you from the elders and this is the message that they give you. I just want to read this one more time. Because as a parent, I think this hits in another particularly sort of potent way. This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Now just think about that. As a parent, you're sitting there and those are the words that you receive about your child. You feel the weight of that. Any of those different parts. So even as we talk about this child would be destined to the falling and the rising. The falling comes first and the rising. And will be a light that will be opposed, a sign that will be opposed by many. Because things will be revealed through them. And then it finishes with, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. I just want to sit with that for a moment and the weight of that because I think it touches so very much on the humanity of Mary and of Jesus that there is this sort of both this divinity that is there this message that is completely transformed that is completely changed and yet also it is like this is gonna be a bumpy ride the fact that they go the falling and then the rising is significant it's gonna be a bumpy ride But here's the thing is that you're going to get to the other side of it. What I love so much about Simeon and Anna as these two people who are bearing witness, these two prophets who are there to bring this message, is that they are elders. They have lived through some things. Simeon has been waiting for this promise, trusting, faithfully, coming to the temple. Not because he's going to the temple because that's what you're supposed to do, but he's going to the temple because that's the place that he knows has the easy, he has the easiest access to the divine. He's going to the temple because he is faithful and because he trusts in the providence of God that this message that God had brought, that he would see the Messiah before he died. He trusted so firmly in that that his faithfulness moved him every day to be present at the temple. 
And I believe that same faithfulness is what enabled him to be a same vessel for this message to be brought. That's a difficult message to bring. I'm thinking if someone, if I were to have to also deliver this message to a parent, say this child is here. We see Jesus so often as this grown Messiah, as he is here and he is strong and he is peaceful and he is present and he is love embodied. But here he is also a child. He's a baby. And there is all of this weight that is already there. And yet this faithfulness too. And that's what I love about Simeon and Anna and what I love about the elders present here is that they have lived through it. Anna as well. She's lived a long life. She's been a widow. Did I read it right that she'd been a widow for a long time? Had a short marriage, short life with her husband. And as and I'm going to say, it's hard to be a widow in any culture, but certainly in a patriarchal society. So she devoted her life. She knew and she trusted in the providence of God to protect and to carry her through. And because of that, she and Simeon both got to bear witness to Jesus. They got to actually carry those messages. They got to actually have this interaction. And they also knew because they're elders and because they've been through all those things that they've been through, they knew that you can go through those valleys and that it's all right because they're going to carry you through. And they knew and saw, even as they bore witness to Jesus, this infant there, they knew and they saw that God's providence was already fulfilled. They knew and they saw that the Messiah was real, was abundant. That those things that had been spoken of for so very long, but which they felt in their bones in a very particular way, were coming to fruition. They knew and they saw it. So even as they're delivering this very heavy message, they're delivering it with joy. And with gratitude and with praise and that's when it gets even trickier right because you're delivering this heavy message with joy and with gratitude and with praise that's again something you can only do if you've been through it and while I love that Simeon and Anna here are both elders in terms of their age we all know by now that you can live a whole lot of years in a short amount of time Age is a helpful marker here, but I don't know many folks who in the last three years haven't been through, last four years now almost, one or two or three ringers. We've all lived so much more life than we know and can be shown. Over the last few months, as things have continued to escalate between Israel and Palestine, I've really struggled with how to communicate faithfully. How do I hold my own love of Jewish people? How do I hold my own love? And how do I wrestle with my own tradition, what I've heard, and have a conversation also about what's happening right now between Israel and Palestine? How do I do that in a way that feels faithful when we're bearing witness to violence of such large scale? And what I found to be helpful again and again is to follow the wisdom of the elders predominantly Jewish elders. I have been moved again and again, taking their lead. How are they speaking about this? What are they inviting me to do? What are they doing? How are they showing up? 
And it's been so moving to hear again and again Jewish elders, many of whom had parents or who themselves were children and survived the Holocaust, who are here now saying, no more violence. And they are willing to speak to the pain and the trauma of their own history in a way that allows it to be healed. They are willing to go through the falling, those valleys, because they know that it is only through those that we get to the other side. They are willing to be honest, to have difficult and painful conversations, and to say, let's get all of this information out on the table. Let's wrestle with it. Let's talk about it. Let's look and see and dig into our own traditions and see what messages are really being conveyed here. How are we being faithful to Scripture? In these conversations, how are we being faithful to the Torah, to the, to the law? But that carries because it is our Scripture together too. We carry on in that story. But I have found it to be such a grounding point for me to be able to rest in the wisdom of these elders. But that grounding point has also been a nice little fire under my feet that has said, do not rest. Do not rest on this right now. Do not rest when holiness is beckoning you to speak or to step. Do not rest when justice needs to be spoken to. Injustice needs to be spoken to. So I am grateful for both that grounding and that fire. And yet it's still incredibly difficult. So name that it's difficult. Name that it's difficult. Name that we cry. When a child cries, no one thinks what's wrong. Somebody thinks, oh, he needs to be fed, or he needs to move around, or maybe he needs to have his diaper changed, or maybe he just needs to change the scenery. So why is it that when we cry, all of a sudden something's wrong? Cry. There is so much in this world right now to cry about. But the thing is, is that when we allow ourselves to cry, when we allow ourselves to be comfortable with that discomfort or to acknowledge that discomfort, the thing is, is that it leads to an alleviation of that discomfort. Because when you name the thing, you can actually see the thing rather than ignoring the thing. So rather than tightening up against trying to ignore it, you can relax. You can say, I see it. And you can move through. And you can recognize that these valleys are not forever. They are not forever. And that there are mountains on this other side. And it is always in this breaking open point, this point right as we are about to break open, that it feels the most difficult. But I will say, as soon as you let yourself be broken open, you will find the glory and the abundance of God in and through it all. I mentioned a little while ago, or just as I started, being in my backyard or my garden this morning, and I talk about this a lot. The more I do this, though, the more I, I realize how much it really does connect me to myself. But this morning, as I was particularly pondering on this text, I was thinking, as I took off my shoes and I look at my phone, I don't know why I look to see what temperature it is, but it was 30 degrees outside, and I was like, okay, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And I walk, and as I'm walking, I'm like, this is not comfortable. This isn't pleasant. It's not comfortable. My feet kind of hurt. They kind of move. And yet I'm learning to breathe into that. I'm learning to let that move. But still, it's not comfortable. And I'm like, that's the point. Invite discomfort. 
Because what happens is that every day I can see that I'm uncomfortable and that I get to move through it. That that discomfort doesn't actually define me. And as I do that, I then feel more grounded and present, more clear. So embrace the discomfort because the thing is, it's there anyway. When we try to avoid the things that are there anyway, we're avoiding the fullness of all that is. So just honor that it's there anyway. It is far more fruitful for me to be grounded than it is to avoid being uncomfortable. So this mild discomfort then becomes nothing. And even more then, as I walk my little path through the garden, I get to see my own footsteps moving. And I get to see the way in which not only does this ground wake me up, but I too get to warm the earth. I get to feel the softness underneath my, get, my feet. And with each step on the soft earth, I am reminded that the hardness does not win. That all I need to do is be present and move through. And to trust that God is in and through it all. So whether you're in the valley or you're in the mountain, on the mountaintop, wherever we are, God is there. God is there. And God has already seen the fullness. It is already done. We are taken care of. We are provided for. We will be taken care of, provided for. We just get to trust and see it as it makes manifest all around us. Amen.